The Brawl Network brings you Manscaped.com. Manscaped will provide you with the Nick Free Trimmers, the Lawnmower 3.0, lotions, and performance boxers so you can be a star. Use promo code BRAWL when you sign up today for 20% off the purchase and get free shipping. That's BRAWL, B-R-A-W-L, at Manscaped.com. The Brawl Network at Manscaped.com, where all your ball needs are handled. You are listening to the Sideline SAS Podcast, Episode 46, Coast to Coast College Football. In this episode of the podcast, I break down college football with two of the best, from one coast to another. First up, I chat with Florida International beat writer and Conference USA podcast host, Eric Henry, about all things Group of Five football. He shares his COVID game experiences, helps me break down Marshall's success this season, and lets us know whether or not Miami is truly back. Later, I am joined by Stanford football and basketball insider RJ Abadia to break down some Pac-12 football. He gives some insight into Saturday's Oregon-Stanford matchup, we talk program identity and why it's so important, and we debate if the Conference of Champions will ever get the respect it deserves. But first, some housekeeping stuff. Hey guys, Emily Van Buskirk here. Welcome to the Sideline SAS podcast, a proud member of the Brawl Podcast Network. If this is your first time listening, I'm glad you found me. The Sideline SAS podcast is generally produced every two weeks just for you, and the show notes can be found on the episode page at Spreaker.com. Make sure you hit that subscribe button on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, pretty much anywhere you can listen to podcasts, and feel free to rate and review. Let your girl know how she's doing. If you feel like getting social as well as sassy, make sure to follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Sideline Sass with three S's. Or if you're more like my mom and prefer a wholesome connection, go ahead and like the show on Facebook. If you like what you hear and you want to see more, check out the website www.sidelinesass.com with three S's for more sports content. Feel free to follow the SAS on my personal account at MLM, E-M-I-L-N-E-M on both Twitter and Instagram. And if you didn't catch all that, no worries. All of those links and handles can be found in the show notes. And I'm excited to announce the addition of Sideline SAS merchandise to the brand. If you want your very own Sideline SAS dad hat, head over to the Brawl Network website and get your very own. But uh, for now, let's uh, go talk to some people. Okay, Sideline Sauce fans, back now in the very beginning of November. I think basically I took October off. It was a hell of a month. A lot of traveling, a lot of college football. So sorry, but the podcast is back. We're going to be coming in strong and hot this month. And I've got two really special guests lined up for this episode. It's going to be a knowledge episode because we're going to be talking to some guys that know what they're talking about, beat writers, guys that are around the game that have inside information. So all of your burning college football questions are going to be answered, hopefully. Um, So yeah, let's get ready. We're going to dive right in. First guest, he's been on the podcast before, but he's never been on it with just me. So now it's us. Don't worry, it's going to be fine. I'm joined now by Eric Henry, FIU beat writer and Conference USA podcast host for SB Nation. Welcome back to the Sideline Sauce podcast, Eric. Thank you for having me. I, mean, I know I got that introduction, but before we get into all of that, you know, all that's irrelevant. Can I just shout out my sister, Emily Van Buskirk? I mean, <laughs> it's someone 
grit, grind. I am more than happy that she, uh, I was able to, you know, chorus her. I was a bamboozle her into, uh, you know, putting out some pieces for Underdog Dynasty, and I'm happy to have her as part of the staff. And um, I don't want to talk too much because the last time, uh, I, I know, uh, I think it was your girl, Jess, who uh, I, I made one too many jokes about your, your complicated drink order, and then she was like, uh, it's not that complicated. I, I, felt, I felt seen in a way that I was like, all right. It's, it's just me, right? So. First of all, let me just address that was very. I don't think I've had anyone come on and throw me back the intro as well. So I appreciate that. Eric is, we've known each other for a minute and we have been, you've been grinding longer. I don't know who's been doing it longer, but you've been grinding just as hard. And we've both been coming up in this sports writing game together. And it's kind of nice to have people like you in my corner and just around to be able to talk to. Like, I feel bad for this guy because I call him, now that I'm working with them, I call him probably every other day, like more than a girlfriend. And I apologize. <laughs> I'm very like needy writer. I, uh, I like to have confirmation and get things right. So you're going to be hearing a lot more from me, but it's, it's, I'm excited to be working together. It's fun. No, you know what? And listen, first off, I would much rather have a needy writer than someone who thinks that they know everything. Like That's writers, fair. you're a young writer, listen to this podcast, editors are your best friend. There you know, we go. Do not, think that, do not fall in love with your words and do not think that your words are the best. <laughs> you're only the second set of eyes. And yeah, I mean, you know, Em and I have known each other for a minute. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 honestly, it's a pleasure to be working with her. And uh, it's a blast. You know, it, it's just more time that I get to like bother her because I think we'll just bother you anyways with my take so now that no. you know we're actually working to, with us or working together uh, I don't feel as guilty about texting you about just random college football nonsense. no I love it I've it's something I've been missing in my life and now I have more of it so very excited to be posting on underdog dynasty if you have not checked out their website go to SB nation underdogdynasty.com it covers all the group of five teams plus some FCS stuff I just posted a story, my first one there, um, that I've been talking about forever about these coaches and their bond in small football. And Eric was kind enough to give me a platform to tell the story. And I think uh, I think it went over pretty well. The coaches seemed pretty happy with it. So, Listen, you get the feedback directly from the coaches. You know, you went, I went out and did the legwork. And once again, uh, if you have not read that story, please, you're doing yourself a disservice. Go out and read it. But I actually have access to the numbers. And, uh, <laughs> Uh, the people have spoken, so uh, it's been one of the more successful debut feature pieces in the history of the website. So once again, thank you, Em, for uh, contributing. It only took me X amount of years to get here. It's great, um, but we're in here. So <laughs> let's. He, Eric and I could talk literally all day back and forth about this stuff. But what we, what I want to do now that I have you and have cornered you into this for a second, we're going to talk about your experience so far this season with college football. Now you cover FIU. You also cover other schools. So why don't you? explain a little bit to listeners what this season has looked like for you you know re when you go to a game what it's been like with covid and what it's like being a beat writer covering the teams during this time yeah so i mean i'll even start from before the season emily okay. the biggest change in terms of what covid has done has really been access to the team itself you mm-hmm. know uh, unfortunately covid is a situation that you know it's unpredictable and things are you know, it's been an ebb and flow, and it seems like, the, you know, they're on the rise again back uh, here in South Florida. <laughs> so we haven't really had access to Team Emily. I have not witnessed one single practice in person. I mean, that doesn't and- surprise me, though, because that would be the first thing they would ask. Because you know what? And correct me if I'm wrong. Coaches, yeah. I don't think coaches like 
practices being open. I remember Sunny Dykes used to close them. Jeff Tedford at Cali School. David Shaw, if you walk by the practice field at Stanford, he will report you and have someone chase you down and escort you away. So I feel like this is the, that was the first thing I was going to go was practices because coaches and media probably already didn't like media department didn't like doing that. Do you think that's fair? No, 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 Emily, that's 100% fair. <laughs> now, I will say this, right? I do think it depends on the style of coach you are. Mm-hmm. For example, at FIU, it's an old, uh, older... Old uh, school, coach, yep. Which will, you know, get on me if I if I mention his age. The amount of stories I've written about him being late 60s, he will tell me firsthand, Eric, stop calling me old. But he's an old school coach, okay. and, you know, that's kind of his philosophy, right? Now, if you look at another conference USA school like Charlotte, they have a young guy like Will Healy. Mm-hmm. Will Healy opens practices to media, you know, day in, day out in a normal year during the week and to fans. He would do that oh. during spring practice as well. So, I mean, I think it just depends on what side of the coin you fall on. But to kind of, you know, I'll, I'll kind of quickly answer your original question, which was um, having not seen a single practice, <laughs> that's been a, a giant change. And then really the way we interact with players and coaches, you know, yeah. typically. You would get a player, you'd have pretty easy access to a player after a practice, and, you know, you, you can, that's how you really get to know these guys. They're yeah. 18 to 23-year-old kids, and you can kind of, they can see your face, and they feel comfortable knowing who you are, and, and you got to remember, with them being kids, you know, it's not easy for them to talk to someone they don't know. Mm-hmm. So once they have that familiarity with your face, it'll be easier to talk to them. And then, as far as the travels, and yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> No, you. I want to hear because, like, you know, I've heard as you know, I've traveled to a lot of places, been in a lot of press boxes, and this year's been different, obviously, with how they're doing it. But you've always told me that I need to come check out FIU because their press box is unique. So I'm curious if that's stayed the same. Have they? What's been going on out there in Florida? Okay, so yeah, as far as travels go, I mean, it's been. So I opened the year at Liberty, right? And oh yeah, I, yeah. I will give Liberty. That is a phenomenal G five uh, facility they have. Everything's top notch. Press box top notch. You know everything is first class. Okay. Uh, FIU. Listen, it is what it is. It's a, it's a twenty thousand seat stadium. It's a smaller press box. It's a smaller stadium. Here's the thing that makes the press box challenging, right? Okay. So to, to give you the actual answer, Emily, that stadium was designed to be a soccer stadium, mm. and mm-hmm. as a result. The the priority was put on placing the um, the suites at the fifty where the fifty yard line would be as opposed right. to like your press area, right? Okay. So where the press area is, and <laughs> uh, you can you can ask CUSA B riders. It's a legendary you know deal amongst those ones who cover CUSA. Yeah. Um, obstructed view doesn't even begin to describe <laughs> it. But that's the corner, it, Emily. The, the press box is literally at the corner of the end zone. So you have okay. two sides. And it's a small room. And if you're on the home side, mm-hmm. you can kind of crank your neck enough to where, like, if you're heading, if the team is heading towards the opposite end zone, you can see. Mm-hmm. But if you are where the visiting team is and you're the visiting B-rider, no shot. You are, you're reliant <laughs> on the in-house TV okay. because you can't, you can't see the other end of the field. That's tough. Um, so there's that, and then it is very small. I mean, to kind of give you an idea of how many people could fit in there safely, we're not in there currently this year. Uh-huh. Uh, I think priority was given to, you know, the communication staff of FIU and the visiting team. But on a normal year, 
there's probably enough seating for 15 to 17, 18 people. Okay, but I mean, you don't have, there's not that many people covering the games anyway, right? Correct, okay. correct. So FIU, usually you have Walter Villa from the Miami Herald. Mm-hmm. Myself, we're the two guys who are there most often. All the time, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and then you have the rest of the guys kind of float in and out. So that's fair. Well, it, it sounds similar to when I was at Tulane This when they played um, SMU a couple weeks ago. And uh, I pour a shout-out to Tom Simmons, our SID. He's incredible. And I feel, you know, it was their first time hosting. And that he was just like, I'm trying to do the best I can. Because like you said, they put the athletic communication staff in the press box. And the, that left the writers and the scouts. And then we forget about the scouts. Like, the scouts are getting screwed uh, out of everybody, but whatever. They put us out in the corner, like you said, by the where the team comes out. Literally on top of where the team comes out. So you're watching only touchdowns that happen in that end zone, and that's kind of it. <laughs> but we were outside, which was nice, under a tent. I don't know what's going to happen when it rains, but that night was pleasant. Okay. So. okay, and so you said that's nice. When you're in New Orleans, it yeah. weather probably in the 70s, maybe? It was, it got down to like, it got in the 50s at night. It was cold, but like, it was fine. You know, I survived. I'm a survivor. Yeah, when you're dealing with Miami humidity and it's a 91, mm. a nice 91 degree day in South Florida mm. and there's no wind uh, and you're trying to, you know, for those of you who've never covered a game, you try to look halfway decent. You don't want to go there. And, Some people you know, do. We, we cannot get into this about, how the young generation does not respect oh. the dressing up to cover a game rule. I don't even want to talk about it. It makes me upset. Well, listen, I am. I will defer to the young generation on this one. M, I, I, you know, wore slacks and a button up. You know, yes, that's what you're um, supposed to wear. And, 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 and listen, on the road, Emily, I will gladly wear that this year. At home at Ricardo Silva, I have, you know, <laughs> unless, unless we're going to get those 50-degree weather, the 50-degree uh, night that you just talked about, yeah. I now have gone to, you know, I've got dress joggers okay. and a Nike dry fit polo only because I am a sweater. Okay. And by the time you walk from media parking lot all the way through the stadium and it's 90 degrees, uh, I'm drenched. Okay, so. that's fair. I will, I'll give you that because at least you're still with the collared shirt, like a polo, you know, so that's... Well, I'll give you that, but I agree with you. It's been, it's just been different and we're all making adjustments how we can. I'm curious from a football standpoint. Now you and I were obviously talking in our little pre-interview about the the quality of football. What is being missed by those that don't understand, you know, what's really going on with the COVID regulations, um, the casual fan. Uh, What has been your experience when it comes to seeing how teams are putting this stuff together on the field? Yeah, so I think it's interesting, right? And this is, I'm, you know, I've said this on various podcasts and various. Oh, great! Podcasts. So I'm just getting sloppy seconds here. Great. <laughs> Emily, you're, you're never sloppy. Seconds. Never, I'm never. I'm gonna find a way to splice it up for you. Okay, let's hear it. Right. So, so here's the deal, right? <laughs> I think fans they are so happy that they're getting football, right? right. They're like, hey. We've got college football on Saturday, even though we can't go to the game and we can't tailgate and we can't do what we normally would with you know our our um, alumni friends. We got football, right. right? And they're so happy that they're not taking into consideration, yo, it is difficult for these coaches and teams to get consistent practice going to put out uh, a solid product that is maybe representative of what you expected from your team out there on the field. I'll use FIU quick example, right? Okay. So I asked Butch Davis after the loss Middle Tennessee, won that, won Emily Van Buskirk did predict. 
because you know she's a, a partial to the Blue Raiders. But <laughs> I uh, love Middle Tennessee. Everybody knows it. It's a rough year. Whatever. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, in, in that loss, I asked you know Butch Davis like, hey, why did you play one quarterback through the entire <laughs> second half when they had been choosing to rotate quarterbacks all three of them through week one, and that uh, was supposedly the plan through week two? And Butch Davis said, hey, uh, he kind of you know snipped at me and said, because Caleb's the only one who practiced. And, you know, that was kind of enlightening. Like, well, hey, when you have a COVID issue, and in this case, they had 17 false positives. Yes, they did. (laughs) You know, how do you put out a a team that's representative of what you're, you know, you're recruiting and your, you know, your your scheme and everything is, is, is representative of when you only have X amount of guys who can practice and, you know, Emily, you'll get this as someone who covers games. Mm-hmm. FIU's last game, which was a loss at Jacksonville State, mm-hmm. they only played 38 guys. When you when you, wow. when you don't include the um, the specialists, your kicker, punter, long snapper, right. and then the, uh, the actual quarterback, they played two. When you don't include those guys, they only played 38. Have you ever heard of a Division One FBS <laughs> team playing 38 players? No, that's crazy. I, you know what? Okay, but here – and here's my question for that then. And we talked a little bit about this prior – I've had the experience this season to be able to sit in on a program and see what the kids are doing on the field and off the field. So I'm not going to reveal where or who it was or whatever, but I have been privy to get to see what these guys, how they live their daily lives, okay, during this COVID time. And there are players that are taking it very seriously, that have distanced themselves from friends and family and given up having a normal life so that they can play this game that they love safely, right? And there are programs that are doing that. Middle Tennessee, for example, they're very passionate. Tony, I went out, I was going to fly to Tennessee to go see him and have dinner, and he politely declined and said, I can't do that to the players. I've given them so much this season. You know, I got to wait till it's over and stay safe. I thought that was very admirable. But I can tell you right now that there are people across the country that are not doing that and not taking it as seriously. So then don't you think it comes down to an issue of personality, character, the kind of guys that you're recruiting, and the kind of leader you are to the team by doing the right thing? Does that make sense? It makes sense, Emily. And mm-hmm. like we said in kind of the pre-chat, you know, mm-hmm. our taping, I think that's admirable to take that approach, right? And I do think there is some level of, of credence in what you're saying when if you're a coach yeah. and typically you would recruit off a of talent, right? Mm-hmm. And who prepares for a pandemic? Who goes into a kid's living room and says, is this the type of kid who's not going to go out on a Wednesday night in a pandemic? But you can kind of tell if a guy is going to be a stand-up guy in a tough situation. I feel like that that guys look for that in players, whether they're going to do the right thing, you know, help the old lady across the street or pick up a $100 bill and turn it into the nearest store. Those are the kinds of character things I'm talking about. And I feel like not every program places an emphasis on that. Okay. Um, yes and no, right? (laughs) So sure. Sure. I'm hitting you with the ethical questions here, okay? No, no, it it is. And and you know what? I can tap into my sociology undergraduate degree. Perfect. So so here's the deal, right? Because I think that, once again, it's admirable to think that way. Mm -hmm. But I'm also very much a realist. Okay. And being the journalist that I am, I'm going to put this back on you. Okay. Emily Van Kirk, you were once a Division One athlete, correct? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a long time ago. <laughs> and, and when you were 18 mm-hmm. and 19 and 20, if, you, if the circumstances had been presented to you, which we're living in right now, mm-hmm. where it said, 
hey, you know, when you said a long time ago, I won't date you, won't date myself, but we'll just say this. If the choice had been, hey, Em, we don't need you to go to that, you know, uh, Paul Wall concert or Mike Jones. <laughs> or maybe, we need you to stay in. Um, would you have been as receptive? Because I'll say this. And I'm going to allow you to answer the question, but I'll just say this. Okay. To, to the kids who are putting their their heart and soul and everything to yeah. them, they deserve the utmost respect and kudos. Yeah. But I am not going to sit here and say that I expect every 18 through 22, 23-year-old to make the right decision. I don't think it's a coincidence that we're having some games postponed following Halloween weekend. Um, so now I'll, I'll allow you to answer that question. I think you're right. And and there's, I saw it with my own eyes, the guys going out, you know, doing, there, there is a dividing line at this point. There are guys, for example, Asher O'Hara, um, middle Tennessee quarterback, who, you know, I'm a big proponent of, um, he, he's been very outspoken about the fact, and we talked on the podcast earlier in the year about how he, you know, didn't go see friends, you know, did what he needed to do, went home, is very unsocial on purpose. Cause like the season for him is very important. Um, and for the team. So yes, I think there's guys like that. And I think those guys are maybe a different kind of breed of person, but it also is about the programs. Like in the past, for example, Florida state would be a team that I would think, you know, given the reputation would not be someone that would take it as seriously. But now under Mike Norvell, now granted Mike Norvell did test positive for COVID. So I can't, I cannot speak to what he does or doesn't do or how, whatever. But I think we're seeing a difference in different programs. So like we use Marshall, for example, I don't, I don't know the numbers they've had, but they're very, very minimal. And Huntington, West Virginia in general has had very low cases, but I was on campus there for a game and I was able to see the football team go to the stadium, go back to their, where they're staying and not go out or do anything. Even when I'm asking young students around like, Hey, you know, is there like a party trying to kind of suss out the vibe it was no. It was everybody was taking it very seriously because they felt that this season was important. Do you know what I mean? So, like, I agree with you that kids are young and they're going to do what they're going to do. And, yes, at 18, I would not have probably taken it that seriously. Now, I was a cross-country runner and no one gives a shit, okay? If I had been a football player, I might have taken it more seriously, you know? Like, if there was actually something on the line, like a bowl game. I mean, look at the reality of this. These teams that no one ever cared about, Coastal Carolina, Marshall, um, you know, Louisiana, people, people never watch these games. They have a chance this year to do something completely special because of COVID, weirdly in spite of COVID. And if you don't take that seriously at this point, seeing the opportunity laid out in front of you, then I, I don't know what to say. No, I think it's interesting when you put it that way. And then especially, I'll say this, mm-hmm. as someone who graduated from uh, a group of five school, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can only assume that if you told those kids, right, and let's not even go from when I graduated in, in 2014, but let's go to the 2017-2018 kids, right? Okay. You know. That was a special kids. year. Right, right. And if you told them, hey, if you follow all these rules yeah. and you win, you'll have a chance to go play in the in the college football playoff. I'm sure they'd be able to do it, right? And when you present it through that prism, it makes perfect sense. But see, that's I agree with you, but it depends on the guys that you recruited. That's what I'm saying. It depends on the guys and how they're going to follow and handle that kind of situation. So I personally think we're seeing who is good at recruiting talent and character at this point. Now, maybe that's too harsh or wide of a spectrum to judge, but this is just my hypothesis currently. I'll, 
I'll let you transition to the next topic, but I'll just say this. And I think <laughs> this is, no, no, no. I, I think it's interesting, yeah. but you guys, they're all variables, right? Mm-hmm. So if you are a player in Miami, oh, boy. forgive me for the fans. <laughs> I know you met two lovely girls who are working communications for Marshall right now. I am not going to crap on Huntington, West Virginia. First of I'm all, not- it's lit. I've been out there, so. I mean, you can find shenanigans anywhere. Okay, yes, Miami's obviously more enticing of a city for that kind of fun. But like you said, 18, 19-year-olds will find shenanigans wherever they are. So (laughs) That is 100% true. I'll give you that. We have that in common. (laughs) And, you know, uh, uh, Boise, Idaho. Yeah. I'll give you that, no doubt. Yeah, that actually might not be as fun as I've never had fun in Boise, so... (laughs) We'll just leave that one for it. But I think it's an interesting topic and, and definitely something, like we said, hasn't been discussed as much is is kind of, you know, we were talking about the Temple-Tulane game, which just happened, and Tulane gets this victory, and Temple, it, it looks rough, right? And I'm texting with their offensive coordinator, and he's just, like, struggling to put together the kind of team that he wants on the field. Now, granted, they hadn't played any games yet, so this is they're getting a late start, but... Um, how do you put together a team when some people are practicing, some people are not waiting on tests, you know, people testing positive and then all the trace contact. And then all of a sudden your whole position group is wiped out. So yeah, it's not easy. Right. And I think, like you said, the fan casual fans not going to understand that really, you know? Yeah. For me overall, I mean, I'll use, for example, Southern Miss head coach Jay Hobson as an example, right? Okay. One game into the year, and that's a program and a fan base. Southern Miss, very strong conference mm-hmm. USA fan base. History with Brett Favre and all those guys, mm-hmm. you know, very passionate. And Jay Hobson has kind of come into this year a little bit on the hot seat because they had uh, plenty of talent. They have a receiver, Quez Watkins, in the NFL with Philly. They put guys in the NFL, right? Right. But it hasn't necessarily resulted in that 10-win season or that success like Lane Kiffin had at FAU. They come into this year. Opening week, they lose to South Alabama, a team that was 2-10 and 10 last year, hadn't won more than Not great, games. yeah. Yeah, in, in a while. Guess what? Jay Hobson, week one, resigns. So it's a thing where I would like— Do you think, I, he, just, heard, do you think he just saw it as like an insurmountable obstacle this year? To, because honestly, there are the have and have-nots in this year in college football, and that's something just—I'm curious if, if this might have been part of his decision because— One of the things that, you know, Tony Franklin told me is like the amount of testing that bigger programs have access to versus smaller programs and how that can affect your day-to-day and what your protocol looks like. Do you think that he saw that as just too big of an issue at a small school like that? Oh, all the things you mentioned are fair. Yeah. But in this case, what I'm referring to is a coach who's coming into the year on the hot seat and then it's a year in COVID in which... Like you mentioned, yeah. you have to worry about testing and worry about getting practice time, and then you get upset by a bad team, and then the the fan base is like, yo, this was a bad loss. We lost to South Alabama. This guy needs to go. In, in a normal year, that might That wouldn't happen. Hey, wow. Okay. Right. I see what you're now, saying. Yeah. Um, Jay Hobson brought some of that on himself huh. by choosing to, you know, pursue Art Browse as the offensive coordinator, <laughs> and a couple of things that didn't, you know, do him any favors, but at the end of the day, in a normal year... Maybe he's able to, you know, he can at least say, all right, like, give me an entire season to get the guys going as opposed to, you know, we lost to South Alabama and it's ugly and the fans are calling for my head, but they don't realize that I've had to shuffle out, 
you know, 20, 25 guys because of contact tracing, you know? Yeah. And see, that's, and these are things we'll never know. Like, had it not been this kind of year, what could have been that? I mean, I'm trying to take this year in college football. Like I said, before the season started, I, I honestly believe this is the year. And I think it's proven true. Correct me if I'm wrong. We've been able to see football, like football, like fun coaches taking chances in games. You know, we've seen more fake punts this year than ever because at the end of the day, like no one knows how this is going to play out, if it's even going to finish, what it's going to mean, if it's going to be an asterisk, you know, an asterisk on in college football history. So why not just put the pedal down to the floor and try these things that you may not have tried? And honestly, that's why I think it's been so fun. And I said this in the beginning of the year that it's going to be fun for the fan this year, you know, because we're going to get to see a lot of different personalities. And, and in that vein, we've seen Miami come into its own this season like no other. And you, you've got a front row seat being there in Florida. I'm curious if you think this is going to be the first of my like more rapid type questions. Do you think Miami yeah. is back? And do you think they're as good as everyone's saying? Cause I think having seen them now, granted they played UAB, but whatever, I think they're good. Do I think Miami is back? Do you think they're back? Like Texas back, like back. Uh, uh, unfortunately, Emily being a native Floridian, yes. I've been hearing that. Since <laughs> I was, in eight, nine, three, something like that. So I got to see a little bit more. I mean, even in more in more recent, you know, times. Yeah. Um, they had the year where they beat Notre Dame. What was that? Twenty seventeen ish, twenty eighteen, something like that. Yeah. And then the bottom fell out. Right. So do I think they're back? I'm gonna need to see a little bit more. Do I think they're legit? And that this team this year is much yeah. better than the other teams. Most definitely. This team and is special, sucks. right? Yeah, and it sucks that it's coming in a COVID year. I know. So we'd like to see what they could do when they're not, you know, in a, a COVID hotbed currently, like, you know, South Florida. Yeah. And well, they all get the year back. Do you think some of, do you think they might try and recreate it next year and go for it for real? Well, I'm going to appeal to you here, right? You know, <laughs> do I think, do I think uh, De'Ara King will come back? I mean, maybe. We'll no, see. I, I doubt that. He doesn't strike I, me as a, as a team guy, I'm, but... Try to be optimistic, right? Okay, so, okay. Sorry. Who I'm hoping does come back. My guy covered him for three years at FIU, FIFA, Jose Borgata. Yeah. Just because if we can get him and his little brother Andy on the same team, yeah. I think that'd be phenomenal. That's, I know. And they're so sweet. You were the one that linked me up with that group, and their mom is incredible. Shout out. To the whole family, and so I got to interview them. There, I love them. I hope they. I hope that he sticks around, and then the brother comes, and it's like a whole family affair there next year. I think that would be sweet, but yeah, I mean, you know, uh, as far as my being back, I mean, I need to see more than a year. Okay, but that's they're, fair. They're, they're they're better than before. I'll put you like that. All right, what do you think of? I had the chance to see SMU, good old Sunny Dykes, when I was at Tulane, and. I call him Shane Boucher because every time they say his name, I just think of, of the water boy. But um, do you think SMU is good? Do you think Shane is, is a good quarterback? What are your thoughts? I mean, have you watched any of their games? Yeah. I mean, I always try to keep an eye on the American, you know. Being okay. Being yeah. I, you know, I always try to keep an eye on the American. Listen, I thought Shane Boucher was good since Texas. Really? Longhorn. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, thought, I thought he was a really good – now, granted – once you, I mean, you know Sonny Dykes. You, you get that. Sunny I Dykes. do. Your numbers are going to take off. And I think this is a better fit than for him than, you know, the situation they had going on there at Texas. My memory serves me correct. Charlie Strong was the coach for Yes, the year. he was. Good old Charlie yeah, yeah. Strong. Right. So this is a, definitely a better situation. And listen, I'm a huge SMU fan in that. Interesting. I'm a, 
for a group of five teams uh-huh. have an identity. Like how UCF has an identity for two years, yeah. being the fast-paced, you know, high-scoring team. Mm-hmm. I think SMU, you know, should be that that Sunny Dykes team that's going to sling it and have a great offense. So, and the rushing game is good as well. I know they got Ulysses. Right. So, you know, I definitely think that they are legit. Okay. Well, I will agree to disagree on that one. Um <laughs> I okay. Obviously, I have to ask the question. Number sixteen, Marshall. Are they? They are five and zero. First in Conference USA East. They've got wins over EKU, App State, which was a big win at the time. I don't know that it holds as much water as App State is not as good as we thought. They're not bad, but you know, Western Kentucky not really a big win. La Tech, you know, beating a conference rival is good and win over FAU. They've got three more games. Okay, UMass, Middle Tennessee at home, all three at home, and Charlotte. Uh, do you think they can go undefeated, and do you think they are one of the sl- most slept-on teams? And there's really only one answer for both those questions. So, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, seeing <laughs> I covered the league, I'm going to answer the, the first one, honestly, which is yes. There's okay. no shot that UMass, love what Walt Bell's trying to do, rebuilding that program, yeah. but they would be better served with spring practice than what they're doing now. They may not score a point in the four games that they have scheduled. Oh, no. No, no, it's, it's the truth. I mean, that's uh, rough. Uh, MTSU. Uh, that's that's the 75 game. So I'm going to be at that game. Um, it is, yeah, it's the 50th anniversary of the plane crash. So while I would say normally Middle Tennessee might give them a little trouble at home because that's usually the MO between those two teams. You they they rarely ever lose. I don't think they've ever lost a seventy five game. So I just wanted to give you that little info before you make your prediction. Yeah. So no, I don't think that MTSU. You know, it all depends on which Asher or Harris. Okay. Which Middle State defense is going to listen, Emily. I've covered Asher since. I know. <laughs> it's just hard for me to fight you and Philip and everybody because everyone's just. I'm, I'm an Asher fan, but it depends. But listen, uh, and all, all jokes aside, Em, mm-hmm. you know, the struggles that they had this year, that wasn't all on him. I mean, I that know. defense, yeah, that defense was, you know, really struggled. So it depends on which Middle Tennessee State team is going to show up. That's but funny. I think Marshall wins. And Charlotte, love what Will Healy's doing there. Yeah. But I, I don't think they have enough talent, especially on defense, to show up. So I think they'll go undefeated. Now, do I think that they are legit? Uh, I'm looking. Here's you're looking at Brendan Knox, who's one of the best, I think, running backs in in the nation. I mean, the kid is, and, and not just that, he can catch passes out of the back. Like he can do everything, and he's fast. And his yards after touch are insane. Okay, yes, they have a young quarterback, which is part of the problem. But even still, they put up numbers, and the receiving game can be strong when he dials in. And their defense is good. I mean, Devontae Beckett is one of the scariest linebackers I've ever seen. <laughs> Yo, for y'all listening at home, you guys think this is entertaining. You should hear us do this after, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, Okay, here's the thing, right? Okay, so, sorry, yeah. Yes, they have Grant Wells, big fan of Grant Wells. Love Grant. He is a major upgrade from Isaiah Green. He, Isaiah Green is what held Marshall back last mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. Brendan Knox. I'm a Brendan Knox fan. If you ask Conference USA teams, they are, excuse me, Conference USA fans, they may, you know, insert running back of choice, but I'm a Brendan Knox fan. Good. Here's Here's what, what troubles me about Marshall, okay? Okay. The fact that they only beat FAU by 11, and that was an FAU team that was down. If you ask Willie Taggart, because mm-hmm. the reason I say that is Doc Holliday uh, said in his Monday press conference two weeks ago that he doubted how many guys <laughs> FAU was down. Actually felt that his team was down more guys than FAU. But if you ask Willie Taggart, 
he'll tell you that his team was down 30 to 35 guys. Can we just take a minute and take a drink of whatever we're drinking for Willie Tiger and the fact that that guy hangs around longer than, like, him and Lane Kiffin have, like, nine lives in this industry. Like, Willie Tiger, he, he, he can do no wrong. Doesn't matter, like, how many places has this dude been now? I am a tag fan. I'm not saying he's a bad guy. I'm just like, yeah. bro, yeah, he's yeah. been around. I mean, tag Western Kentucky, USF, Oregon, FSU, FAU. That's a lot. That's a lot of big programs. And, and, and guess what? It is a lot of experience for a guy who's not that old. I mean, tag that's is fair. Only like 46. That's fair. You know, so so there's that. But um, but yeah, just to finish up that FAU point. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen Marshall go out there and beat a team that, like I said, depending on who you ask how shorthanded or not they were, yeah. beat them by more than 11 points that's in a fair. game that really they, they didn't secure until, you know, the second half. So that's the only thing that really gives me pause to say, yo, Marshall's for real. But yeah, and that was at, was that at FAU or at home? I can't remember. That was in Huntington. Yeah, see, that's unusual because they, they, they play very well at home generally. But, you know, they're bound to have those games. So I, I agree. That's a good point. And we'll have to see how they finish out these last three one of the fun little fun fact about the stadium there, it's a uh, Joan. Yeah, they call it the Joan. So yeah. it is one of only two college football stadiums named after a female. Did you know that? I did know that. Now here's the question: cool. Can you name, can can you name the other? Answer? Yeah, I can. It's a uh, wait. Somebody told <laughs> somebody told me, and now I forgot now. So here's the one. And now, of course, like. It's an SEC school. Now I got to go back and look it up. Is it South Carolina? Hang on. I think, yeah. Now I can't remember. I can't remember. I think it's it's Williams Bryce. Oh, now let's come back to that. Yeah, we will. We'll circle back. I can't remember the other one, but I should know that. Now I can't answer it. (laughs) Yeah, I should know that if I'm going to drop that tidbit in. All right, last question of these kind of questions before we wrap it up. Pac-12 play starts this weekend. You know, I'm going to have RJ on next to talk a little bit of what we can expect Looking at those teams and those games, we're going to have a seven-game conference-only season for the Pac-12, five division games, one crossover. What do you think? Okay, we've got two teams ranked out of the Pac-12 without even having played a game, which I think is crazy, but USC at number 20, Oregon at 12, unranked, everyone else unranked. Do you think there is a Pac-12 team that will go undefeated, and who do you think would be most likely to do so that would be like left standing when the dust settles. I don't think it's likely, but if it were to happen, really quick, just to finish up that answer, it was Williams Bryce Stadium. It was South Carolina. I just want to make sure. Oh, you, you did it. Okay. Yeah, but I, I know I should get that. There we go. Pac twelve football, the most overrated football <laughs> in history of. Listen, Japan. it's not overrated. People don't understand it. That's what they say about things they don't understand. Okay. Don't get me started. I'm not going down this road. I've had arguments with David Pollock for an hour at the ESPN College Football Awards. An hour we argued about this. I cannot. I can't. Emily, you and I have only bonded on one thing, Pac-12, and it's that um, all of the California systems, uh, the fight song is all the same. And it's not a different <laughs> variation. So we can bond over that. Okay. As far as the football, if you don't mind me, before I'm just really interrupted getting back to that. Um, I, I'm kidding. I'm kidding about crappy football. Here's the thing, all right? To answer to answer your question, I I don't see um, anybody winning out. Yeah, really, really winning out. That's you know, fine. I think a lot of the teams there, especially like M. All jokes aside, you know, we can put the, the banter aside for a second. Yo, how do you feel about these teams getting a late start? 
because I think that's something. I'm that, shocked um, that they're even playing, to be honest. Like it was such a it was things the way they are in California, especially you know, just everything still here is shut down. I, I'm surprised that this is like I applied for a credential for Cal this weekend. I'm going to be shocked to even set foot there and 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 cover the game. That I did not think we'd be here. But that being said, this is the worst case scenario for the Pac-12 having to play only each other. They usually have a very strong non-conference as as a conference. So not getting the Notre Dame's, not getting the UCF. You know, sometimes that they play. Um, I think Oregon was going to play Ohio State or whoever Oregon shoots for the stars with. Not having right. those games is going to – people are going to knock them even more. And they're just going to – I think they're going to beat each other up. They're getting such a late start. Who knows what this first couple weeks are going to look like. Probably trash. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I was all jokes aside, I think Mario Cristobal is doing a really mm-hmm. good job at Oregon. Managing to recruit really well. Picking up where Willie Taggart left off and then probably doing better with, you <laughs> know, yeah, like, Willie Tagger, he's gonna be like a theme in the podcast, always coming up, sneaking up in there. Willie Tagger, <laughs> exactly right. But you know, if there was, if you had to pick a school, do you think it's gonna be Oregon? If I had to, in a normal year, I would. If I had to bet some significant amount of money, it would be Oregon. Okay. But outside of that, I just can't feel comfortable giving you know yeah. circumstances the way the season's coming up to, to really feel confident. You know. Well, we'll find out this weekend. Stanford plays at Oregon. In normally what would be a highly anticipated game, not so much this time around as Stanford is decimated with guys just leaving the program as grad transfers. Um, we've seen KJ Costello over at Mississippi State, you know, and it's going to be interesting to see David Shaw field a team and head into Austin, which is a, you know, daunting place to play and, and face off against an Oregon team that looks like it's going to be pretty good. So I guess we will find out this weekend yeah i know you won't be watching right <laughs> no i mean i don't have a game to cover now that fiu and UTEP that's and true no pack 12 after dark i'm with it all right okay fair enough well thank you so much for joining um you're gonna be on again i'm, I'm getting i need you to stay on me to keep doing the podcast because i'm not very good at keeping myself in check. So I appreciate you coming back on spurring more conversation. Um, I'm going to look up some fun Willie Taggart facts for the next <laughs> one. <laughs> Cause that's going to be our thing now. Um, but thank you for coming on. The thing about it, Em, is mm-hmm. that even though if you, if you invite me on the actual podcast, yeah. you'll call me twice a week and we'll just do our own version of the podcast. <laughs> okay. And you got to remember like, yo, let's actually tape this. And turn we should. Ta- yeah, I know. I wish we should tape some of our other convos cause they're definitely more colorful. So well, thank you. I will catch up with you, you know, tomorrow. So, <laughs> of course, man. Thanks for having stay me. Stay safe right. this weekend. All right, guys, stay tuned. More Pac-12 football. I know you're excited. More Pac-12 football talk next with RJ Abadia, and he's going to be breaking down Stanford and the rest of the Pac-12 for y'all. So stay tuned. That was one of my favorite East Coast college football writers, Eric Henry, checking in with all things Conference USA, all group of five football, even a little FCS. We didn't talk as much about that, but we're going to save that for another episode because I do have a story brewing about an FCS team, and I'll give you guys a hint. Chip Kelly once coached there. We'll see if my current guest, my next guest, can guess what team I'm talking about. He is RJ Abadia. He is the Stanford football and basketball insider for the bootleg and 
close personal friend and confidant of mine, the person that I call when I'm at an abandoned bonfire and need someone to talk me through it. Welcome to the podcast, RJ. Welcome back. It's great to be back, especially <laughs> under non-life-threatening, non-environmentally <laughs> challenging circumstances. I feel like every time we have a conversation, whether it be football or life or I'm just like walking you through the mess that is my dating life or any of that, it's always where I'm in some sort of unsafe environment <laughs> deemed so by you, not by me. And you're like, how do you get in these places? And I'm like, RJ, this is just the journey. This is the journey. There's no winning. There's only surviving. (laughs) If there was ever a person to write my memoirs, it will be you. You are the only one that can do it. So, Yeah, well, feel free to book me. Yeah, I already am. This is a verbal commitment. So speaking of commitments, (laughs) like that segue, Stanford football having some... What we thought was going to be life-threatening news, the way that RJ tweeted it out today, and people were a Twitter about it, but it ended up being good news, right, that happened for Stanford football today? Well, all I really tweeted was that there would be a lot of news. No, you used a very specific word that people were, it triggered people. No, I said awful lot of awful. football news. <laughs> Emphasis. Yeah, awful lot. Okay. Like, that, was the, that was about the quantity. Like, I can't help it. When an artist makes a song and the audience listens to it, it's their song at that point. I mean, like, to you be... can take it to mean whatever you want. You can take it anywhere you want to go. That's fair. But it was about the quantity, and I was right. At 1 p.m., Stanford locked down their best recruit, which is not a high bar. In the <laughs> I was going to say, I feel like I've heard you say this exact phrase many times and i don't know that that it's yeah yeah the bar gets lowered so much okay. at the stage but okay but he's a legit four-star guy okay he was a heavy usc lean so anyway that was the good news and then of course you know david shaw dropped his usual injury bombs on all of us learning that stanford's going to be without <laughs> starting cornerback and about 25 uh, linebackers that they were expected to have. So, How so- badly does that bode for this game with Oregon, who is arguably the best team in the league? I, w- I think they are the best team in yeah. the league. I think you can – I think, look, I can paint a picture. You just ask me what you want. I can paint <laughs> you a very bleak picture for Saturday, <laughs> but I can also paint you a – decently optimistic no way no shot can you there's no shot that there's any optimism except maybe not getting shut out that would be the only optimistic thing there really there really is though okay spin your tail let's hear it look at it look okay so and again like i said you can have the whatever version of it that you want there's definitely what's the real version what's the one that's actually going to happen I think it's going to be somewhere in the middle. I okay. think this is going to be. I think, I think Oregon is definitely the better team. They're yes. definitely, they've definitely got advantages for sure. But I also think that the difference between these teams is significantly closer than, especially when you consider the fact that it's game one. Yeah, I mean, I and that's fair because Pac-12 is way behind in this timeline of COVID football and. I mean, Mario Cristobal himself was saying they needed two months to get ready, correct? So I don't know how far back the Ducks were or how far behind they are, but Stanford, to me, and I, and correct me if I'm wrong, they see, I haven't been catching up with all my Pac-12 gossip, okay? I've tried to stay away from it, but 
It seems like Stanford is the most decimated team in the conference. Like when you look at people that opted out, you know, talent that didn't come back, guys that grad transferred. I mean, we're watching KJ Costello at Mississippi State currently. So doesn't it seem like they're the team that lost the most? Well, it seems like that just because of the pure volume Mm -hmm. of guys who left the program. But Which is a weird you, big number, right? That's a but weird. When you look at, yeah, it was, I think it was bigger than anything anyone anticipated for sure. Did you have a final know. count for that or no? Um, I think it's at sixteen right now. Oh my goodness! But and that's you, that's everybody that opted out and that transferred. Yeah. Okay, wow. But when you look at the depth chart that just got revealed, yeah, if you look at the starting twenty-two guys. Mm-hmm. Um. Outside of two defensive line guys who I've, you know, you and I have talked about this. Those were significant losses because yes. those guys were projected to be starters. Mike yeah. Williams and Joe Von Swan are at, the, at a minimum yes. like, on the two deep for sure. Right? right. So that was definitely significant and that should not be looked, looked over. But right. if you look at those remaining 14 guys, not one of them was going to threaten in any way the guys who are currently starting for this team right now. But don't you think, okay, okay. okay. So it was more about the quality of those defensive linemen than than it was about the quantity because you got to get rid of somebody. You know, (laughs) the question is like, the question you have to ask yourself is, okay, for every of those 14 guys that you brought back to the roster, you'd have to boot somebody, right? Right. So who would you willingly want to boot out of the 14 guys, out of the guys remaining on the roster? And I don't think there are 14 guys that any Stanford fan would want to drop in favor of the guys who have gone aside from those two defensive guys. I mean, the truth is you want depth, right? Yes. So in a perfect world, you wish you had Davis Mills and KJ Costello, but that was never going to happen. And that right? was not going to happen because he was told it wasn't going to happen. So Right, but they, they weren't going to allow for that situation anyway. I felt like that could have been handled differently in, in my I opinion. think it could have been handled a lot better, but the reality yes. is the reality is that KJ Costello was not going to be anybody's backup quarterback because he didn't want to be, or because they told him he couldn't be is the question. I think the safest thing to say is that you could say the safe thing. I'm going to say were what ready. They were ready to move on. Right. As, they, they as told him position. Right. And so if KJ Costello had said, Oh, well that's okay. I just love being at Stanford so much that I, I don't even mind sitting on the bench when I could be starting somewhere else. Like, that was never going to happen. That's not to say, I mean, there's just no way. Mm-hmm. Why Why would he do that? Mm-hmm. He was told yes. he needed to go somewhere else right. if he wanted to start. It's possibility. Everything's, you know, everything's on the table. That's what, program. yeah, exactly. And that's, but, we don't really know what's going on behind those doors. All we know is what's being told to us by our sources and our friends and whatever, but I was told that he was told he needed to go elsewhere, which is why I was upset with the way they handled it. Whatever. KJ's gone. He's found a new home with Mike Leach, and we're happy for him. It's not going particularly well. well aside, but. aside from the fact that he's potentially been concussed out of his career. Yes. Yeah. I, said it's not, I said it's not going well, but... It, no, it's, but not, it's not going well. It, but the, the point is, like, if... <laughs> They don't have their backup quarterback situation. Mm-hmm. Stanford we're talking about now yes. is very, very shaky mm-hmm. because they have a guy that they really like mm-hmm. named Tanner McKee, but he's back from a Mormon mission. He hasn't played a live football game in two years. Since the fall of 2018. So 
So you have him as a talented guy, so you could sit from one... Again, with Stanford, you can always make it look however you want it to look. You can say, oh, well, they've got two five-stars in their quarterback room, and that's awesome. And it's true, they do. But one of them is a guy coming back from a Mormon mission, and the other one is a guy who has yet to complete a college season without being injured. Yeah. So, you know, if, if you're saying, like, KJ would have been happy to just be depth, then Stanford would be insane not to take that. This is a conversation that RJ and I have all the time and we go back and forth. Nobody else cares except for us. Okay. Maybe my dad, right, like well, maybe let's talk about the things. Let's talk about the things that you, that you do care about. No, not just me. I'm saying, I'm curious your opinion. Okay. So Stanford's going to play Oregon. You, you say it's going to be somewhere in the middle, which should be interesting to see. I would like to see them not get blown out. That would be great. You know, it would make people feel better. Okay. Let me just throw some facts. Out. Okay. Let's hear it. Okay. And, we can even do it in a question and answer, but which team has the more experienced quarterback in this game? Who has played more downs of college football? Yeah. Stanford. Right. Yeah. And it's not I don't know that they're good downs, but he has played them. Well, Davis's numbers are pretty good. Nobody believes that Davis Mills can't play quarterback. The, the question with Davis Mills is, can he play quarterback for seven straight games? Yeah. That's the question. Nobody's ever doubted. He's never given any reason to doubt that he can play. It doesn't mean that, like, he's proven he's elite and he doesn't have improvements to make. But if you're talking about Davis Mills as a fourth-year former five-star going up against a freshman quarterback, or a, not a freshman, but a quarterback making his first start, objectively, take out the fact that it's Stanford and Oregon. If I just presented that to you, you'd be like, okay, the team with the more the more experienced quarterback has an advantage. I would have to look at what he was going against and where he was going against it. Well, he's going against Pac-12 competition. I'm saying, like, I would have to, and I have not done the research on, like, a deep dive into this game, but how good is Oregon's defensive uh, defensive line? How good is their secondary? How good are their cornerbacks? Like, what is he going to be facing talent-wise? I don't care how good or bad he is. What does it look like when he steps in out of that pocket is he going to be facing something hard? Will his offensive line hold for him? Like what? Th- those are the things I'm worried about for him. And again, that's the question too that yeah. Oregon needs to worry about as well. Yeah, because Stanford is Stan- again. Stanford not only has the more experienced quarterback, they've also got the more experienced offensive line. Oregon is replacing four out of their five starters. Yeah, Stanford is replacing two out of their five starters, and one of the two guys who was replacing him played last year significant snaps okay the guy who didn't is actually the better player he's a guy named branson brad and he's going to start at right guard and he was actually the first man up when all the injuries on the offensive line started to happen and then of course he got hurt so you know it was just that kind of a situation so in other words okay if you're trying to look for reasons for stanford optimism you can unquestionably say Stanford has the more experienced quarterback. Okay. They have the more experienced offensive line. Okay. I think Oregon's defense, there's no reason to think that they won't be very good. Right. Like, there's no nothing to suggest that that's going to be the case. Right. But if you look at the Stanford-Oregon game last year, mm-hmm. and you're using that as any kind of an indicator where KJ played that game with a busted thumb. Yeah, I remember that. Right. And... It was a disaster, but that's an offensive line. Oregon was going up against an offensive line full of freshmen. Yeah. Those guys, those guys who played last year as undersized freshmen, they have literally put on like a hundred collective pounds. Okay. 
like each one of those guys has gained like 30 pounds. So you're looking so, at a line that's 11 points. Do you think that Oregon wins by less than two scores? I think as a betting line, because yeah. that's the thing in college football is like you can play a team mm-hmm. to one score for three and a half quarters, and have then- two turnovers. <laughs> You lose by 21, but yeah. did you, you know what I mean? But did, you didn't, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Did the line, did that, was that really the way the game played? Yeah. So, like, I think it could go a lot of different ways. If you're talking just purely as a betting line. Yeah, I'm just looking and you're at. Giving, and you're, yeah, you're giving yeah. me 11 points yeah. plus Stanford. I would take that. And it just, it's interesting because I hadn't dived, I hadn't delved into this as deeply as you have, obviously. And just, like, off of surface, everyone's like, oh, Oregon's ranked number 12. They're going to be really good this year. 83%, you know, matchup predictor has them winning. But the line is 11 points, which really isn't that generous. And now I'm, and the odds makers know usually what they're talking about. And now I'm looking at that like, okay, so maybe it's going to be closer than people think. That's interesting. First of all, (laughs) as you said, in a non pandemic year, the very first game is very difficult to predict for everybody. Yes. I mean, you can look at seasons with Stanford where the first game did not tell you anything, either in either direction. Right. That's they've why had, people play non-conference kind of soft right. games generally. <laughs> they've had great openers yeah. and then collapsed, and they've had stinkers. They've lost to UC Davis. Decent, decent seasons, right? <laughs> like the Rose Bowl, the 2000 Rose Bowl team lost to freaking San Jose State. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> they lost to Texas by like 700 points. Yeah. So if, if you're looking at things that are in your favor, right? If you're the underdog, mm-hmm. you need kind of the chaos. You need variables. Yeah. So you have an Oregon team that has not played, literally hasn't played a game yet. So right. That, you're getting the most vulnerable version of Oregon, no matter how good you think they are. But you're all, right? but that's the same for Stanford. Right. But if you're the underdog, mm-hmm. you want to bet on that. That's true. If the theory is that Oregon has more talent and just has better players or that they have yeah. better coaching then you need things to swing in your favor. And normally you'd be talking about how hard it is to play at Oregon, but that's kind of out of the question right. now. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the thing when you look at that's when you weird. Look at Stanford's situation. Mm-hmm. You're looking at a team, and again, on the surface, they're coming off a 4-8 season. Mm-hmm. It's pretty hard to generate enthusiasm. Yeah. Just common sense, right? Yes. But when you look at the details of their schedule, all I'm saying is, no one should be surprised to see Stanford succeed this year. I think the problem is everyone will be surprised. You're the only one that won't be. (laughs) Well, then that that, that wouldn't be the first time. But that's what makes you a beat writer because you are, you know, you're an insider because you know. I think, yeah, I think that is true. But I mean, just consider a few things. Mm -hmm. You have Davis Mills. Mm -hmm. You have the deepest receiving core that they have ever had. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, that's a group, Connor Weddington, Michael Wilson, Osiris St. Brown, Simi Fajoko. That's before you even get into some of the younger guys, like Elijah Higgins and John Humphreys. But that's four guys who are really, really good. Like, they are a problem. Yeah. They've got good running backs. There's no reason to think that they can't score points. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think it's a lot harder to build an argument that the defense, I think the defense is going to improve because it's kind of hard not to Mm -hmm. from what they were last year. (laughs) But I think it's much harder to build an argument that the defense is going to have this radical transformation. I think you're looking at, I think in most scenarios, you're probably looking at high scoring games. 
for Stanford this year. I think they're going to put up points, and I think the safest bet is that their defense is going to give up points. Okay. But consider the fact that when you look at Stanford's schedule, they got Colorado yeah. in Pac-12 crossover. Yeah, game. which was amazing. <laughs> yeah. Colorado, who's a mess, yes. and they're dealing with a new coach. Yeah. And then you look at the fact that five of their six opponents are going to be starting first-time quarterbacks. Yeah. It's not crazy to think that Stanford should be in every game that they play at a minimum. I just feel like if you – yeah, I guess that's true. It's it, I'm looking at the schedule, and I had all these, like, questions we were going to break down. But then sure. I'm listening to what you're saying, and I'm like, well, by the logic, by the COVID logic – we really don't know. We don't know what we don't know at this point. And well, yeah, that's a hundred percent right. And of course, so. these things can all break against Stanford. That's not. That's like, the that's thing. Not, yeah. That's not. You know, obviously, if anything happens to Davis Mills, it's yeah. over. Yeah. I mean, it's done. Yeah. Like that's the end of it. So there's something like that to consider, which is but- scary. And I honestly reminds me of when. David Shaw told Costello that he couldn't be mobile and move because he was their only quarterback and they couldn't afford that he could get hurt. So that kind of brings up that like PTSD feeling. I don't love that. Well, I think it's valid. I I, I understand, but it's not a good situation the, to be. The, the scenario, you know, what you like about Davis Mills mm-hmm. in theory is that not only is he, you know, he can make all the throws yeah. and he's very accurate, but he is, a, I mean, he's not fast, but he's not slow, right? Like, right. He, can, he can move around. He can do some things. But obviously, if he's being coached <laughs> to never leave the line of scrimmage, that's a problem. He's and also so, a really quiet guy. Like, he's not vocal. He's not, from he's what I've not, seen, he's the opposite of KJ Costello. He's the complete yeah. opposite. And I don't love that from a Stanford quarterback, to be honest. Well, but. I think it's just harder... It's just harder to have faith. Yeah. You know, when you have a guy who just has that presence, yeah. you just have confidence. You just are like, okay. But, you know, we can't ding Davis Mills for not being a, you know, I think. I can. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, let's be real. Like, yes. I like my quarterbacks to be. Is there any question who you'd rather hang out with at the old pro? No, of course, there's no question. <laughs> Kevin Hogan, always. But, but. You know, Kevin Hogan was not a set the world on fire interview either. But with the guys, he was like that guy. You always heard people talk about how he was like the guys guy, you know, and that's yeah, absolutely. I don't know. I just Mills. No, I, I don't I, know. I, I, I agree with you. Yeah. I'm just saying that I think let's let him get out there. Okay. And play and let's Fine. Just see. Because you know what? These things that we're speculating about, it all comes out in the wash. Yeah. Like. We're going to see with the way that Stanford plays and the way that they respond to Davis Mills if he has the things that you need to have. Right. Like, it's not, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, if they go in there and perform against Oregon, then everybody's that's like, for itself. yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's, yeah. that's going to be it. If they go in there and lay a complete egg with the talent that they have and the situation that they've got, that's also going to speak volumes. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. My, I guess my concern with this conference this year, we already struggle so hard to be taken seriously. We know when I go across the country covering games, people are like, Oh, the PAC 12 is not good. It's, we don't like people don't understand it. Right. They don't get that the level of competition is high, but that beating each other up on a national stage or, you know, at 12 o'clock at night is not helpful. 
So this condensed version of that, where they're only playing each other, how is this going to help the conference? I mean, I guess that's rhetorical. It's not. But how much do you think this is going to hurt national perception, especially given the late start and the growing pains like you talked about that are going to take place? Yeah, I mean, I think that's I think you're pretty right on with all of that. (laughs) I think in the best case scenario, you just hope the Pac-12 doesn't lose ground this year in terms of perception. You know, in the best case scenario, somebody goes seven and zero, looks good, <laughs> so that at least people say, "Hey, they kind of got screwed," or "Hey, if they had been able to play ten games, I think they could have been up." You know what I mean? So at least there's some kind of validity to that. But yeah. it's interesting to me because if you look at it, the one thing you have to at least acknowledge that the Pac-12 does is they play nine conference games, right? And as yeah. you said. The conference top to bottom tends to be way more competitive yes. than any other conference. Yes. Look at last year. Oregon State was the worst team. They they won four games in the conference. Yeah. And if you look at what's happening in the SEC now, where now they're finally forced to just play each other. Yeah. Like you're starting to see like, okay, maybe they're not quite the super team, you know, from top to bottom. Right. Top to bottom. Alabama, yeah. It doesn't matter. But like. For the SEC to sit there and be like, oh, no, we've got like five or six Alabamas. I think that's like, even no. false at this point, right? I agree with you. And that's the problem is we the, the Pac-12 doesn't have an Alabama or, you know, what an LSU was last year to to stand to prop itself up on. And every time they do try and have that, you know, we saw what happened with Utah. Everyone pins these hopes on them and they completely shit the bed in the conference championship. You know, or if USC is having a down year, then we're not, then the Pac 12 isn't relevant because USC is the name everyone knows. But the competition within the conference is good, even at teams' levels. Like Colorado can be competitive, Oregon State has great players and can be competitive, you know? So, but it's like you can't explain that to people that don't understand it, you know? (laughs) Well, I think it's human instinct to just value the prize at the end of everything. Yeah. Right. And the bottom line is the SEC and the Big Ten mm-hmm. and the ACC would never go on the record as admitting this. But the truth is, it's better for them to have a couple super teams right. and crash. Yes. Because then they end up playing in these games on these big stages. Right. And they can say, well, we have one of the we have one of the four best teams in the country. Okay, great. But like, how's Vanderbilt doing? Like, how? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like. Yeah, well, all these schools, all yeah. these schools that get bumped. I mean, how many SEC schools are start the season in the top ten and then don't finish anywhere near it? I know. Like, it, it's you know, it's yeah. just, it's one of those things where you just have to decide what your priorities are. Yeah. And the truth is, I think KJ actually a couple years ago at Pac-12 Media Day, I think he said it best. I think he said, you know, there probably is not an Alabama or a Clemson in the Pac-12, but there's also no super easy games. You yeah, know, there's no. There's no spots on the schedule where you literally could play your second stringers and probably right play. where you go. Alabama can yeah. do that for like three, four games this year. Yeah, and that's honestly, I've had Pac-12 coaches say that to me. Ops guys and coaches say there is no week where we're like taking a breath where we can be like, okay, let's reset. Let's we don't have to be anxious and on our toes. He's like, they've said every week they have to be at their best because you're facing good competition week in and week out. So I agree with that. Yeah. But we just need the rest of the world to see that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, ultimately I think the the funny thing is that reputation has kind of a shelf life, right? Mm -hmm. So 
within the next couple years, if slash when we see a Pac-12 team jump into the playoff and represent, mm-hmm. I think that's going to go a long way towards, you know, changing that. Perception. I agree. But the problem like, is a that- little bit of reality goes a long way. But the bottom line is right now, the winner mm-hmm. of the Pac-12 is only going to play seven games. Yeah. The likelihood that that team is going to be seven and zero is very low, right? Um, and they'll have no ranked wins because unless USC stays ranked, Oregon stays ranked. Right. Anytime one of those teams lose, how yeah. is any other team going to get something exactly? Ranked? Like so, you know, it's a it's a tough cycle. Yeah. But I think for the Pac-12, I think the bottom line was they had to get on the field this year, which okay. they're going to accomplish at least to start. Yeah. I think it's a little dicey that they scheduled seven games in seven weeks. <laughs> I mean, that just doesn't... It allows for no error. Like, it allows for no... Yeah. Been, I mean, I think the curve has flattened a little bit as we've gotten into the season. Yeah. But I, the number I remember is in the first 55 games yeah. of the Power Five or whatever, 21 of them were canceled. Yeah. So you only had like a three and five shot of getting your games played. You had to start earlier to allow for that kind of... Possibility. So the yeah. idea that the Pac-12 is going to run the table and get every game for seven straight weeks, it's asking a lot. It is. You know? So we'll see. But, but just- at least at least the states, for the most part, the, the difference is in college football across the table, you're dealing with a lot of states that have a more lax rules when it comes to social distancing and whatnot. That's what I've seen when I've traveled. Like, I went to New Orleans couple weeks ago and it was like normal like you could go into bars you could do whatever so there's more risk for these kids at least out here on the west coast california oregon washington it's definitely more stringent so maybe i'm curious to see if that'll have an effect of keeping cases low well yeah i think you have to give credit where credit's due right if Mm -hmm. there's one thing that pac-12 has done right they're definitely set up with the testing and the equipment and the medicine to get through a season. They're definitely, they are in better shape to execute a season than any of the other conferences were when they started. Right. Which they, you know, they learned. They did. So there's a chance. I mean, look, I think you just have to survive this season. Truthfully, it's just really what this comes down to. And the good news is, is that if you look on the recruiting trail, it's not hurting. Oregon's going to have a top 10 class this year. They might have a top five class. Yeah. USC's going to have a top 10 class this year, guaranteed. Might be a top five. Wow. So, the fact of the matter is, is like it's not like kids are just like, well, forget this. There's no way I'm going to play out there because I'm an elite guy and I have to go somewhere else to play. So, right. You know, it's just about the Pac-12 kind of getting its act together. And, and you know, and this is something, again, not everybody's as interested in it as you and I are because <laughs> of our connections. It's but, our life. <laughs> but there is something to the to the notion, you know, it's, it's the SEC thing, right? It just mm-hmm. means more. But I think the Pac-12 hasn't just hasn't demonstrated that they care enough Mm -hmm. i think when you talk about individual schools and presidents looking at legitimately what it takes to be a nationally elite team in football i think a lot of them just don't want to do it yeah but then their argument is when it comes to some of the schools academics like how much do you do you sacrifice no i wouldn't say sacrifice is the wrong word but do you put emphasis on as opposed to, cause there are a lot of really right. good academic schools in the PAC 12. And then how yeah. do you shift that importance? I don't know. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, right? Yeah. Is that, I mean, 
first of all, any conference that's got UCLA, Cal, and Stanford, mm-hmm. that's three right there mm-hmm. who are not going to be playing by all the same rules as everyone else. Well, they can't. You can't recruit the same right. kind of guys. Yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely not. Totally. So you have basically Oregon and USC as schools that have both the prestige and the lack of academic impingement to go after whoever they want. I don't know that USC, USC is probably not that easy to get into. Well, USC, actually, it's kind of funny that you bring that up. USC as a school has taken a major step up academically. Okay. It's super hard to get into now. I mean, I'm not going to date myself with specifics, but I can just (laughs) tell you that when I was going to college, like it was legit. Where'd you go to college, RJ? It was, what's that? RJ, where'd you go to college? Where did I go to college? Where did you go to college? Frankly, at this stage, anyone that can't answer that question... You are the only person I know that doesn't talk about the fact that they graduated from Stanford. Like, it's crazy to me. Every, every guy I know is like, I went to Stanford, including my yeah, they dad. Drop, they dropped the S-bomb in the Oh, they do? Yeah, yeah, of course they do. Yeah. Of course. No, I, trust me, I, it's not something I'm unaware of. It's just more of like... <laughs> At this stage, is there anybody who I'm going to be talking to that doesn't already That's know fair. that? Well, my about- listeners might not know. So for everybody that right. wants to know, RJ went to Stanford. So yes, there we go. Did. But so you there- did you apply to USC? No, that's okay. my point. I didn't even take them seriously as a school. I was like, no. <laughs> I was but, like, no. <laughs> but they have stepped up significantly. Yeah. So for student, for the general student population, USC is a really top school. It's a top 20 school for sure. And yeah. it's really hard to get into. Yeah. But none of that applies to the football team. Oh. Like, they okay. haven't. Trust me. Okay. Yeah. USC still demands the NCAA minimums. Okay. Well. Which is not the same as UCLA. We can't all do the maximum, okay? We well, I also don't know that you should. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't think everybody needs to. Like, yeah. I think that's kind of a misconception. And, you know, sometimes there are elements at Stanford that put that out. And to me, it's just kind of off-putting. Not everybody needs to go to Stanford. And not everybody needs to, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you don't have to, like... And, and at the end of the day... And we're way off topic now. No, we, this, is like a, this, is like a college, this is like a college counseling show at this point. We're not even talking about football. But, we, you know, at the, at the end of the day, the, the experience is what it is, what you put into it. Like, you Aww. can go to Stanford and get a trash education if you don't want to work and you don't want to try and you don't care. And you can go to any other school and get a great education. It's You know, it's not like it's not like this whole thing, like, where Stanford is the market cornered on Right, right. of course. There's academic excellence in a lot of places. But it does carry a certain weight when you say, you know, you have a degree from Stanford or a double degree from Stanford, whatever. Um, It's definitely, it's still got that reputation behind it. Whether it's the same academically or not as another school, people pay attention is what I mean. And that's something that you can't ever get rid of because that's just like word of mouth type stuff you know no it it does and obviously that's a good thing and everyone who graduates from stanford yeah pretty much benefits one way or the other from that reality right and that and that that perception but it leads us back to what we were what we were first talking about which is like okay but how committed is stanford to to making it a great football school yeah how committed are they to you know legitimately competing and I think you could ask that question of a lot of the schools in the conference whether it's for academic reasons 
or economic reasons or anything else. Like you can question a lot about the SEC. What you cannot question is that they all want to win at football. No, they're dedicated to football, 100%. And Stanford has been very outspoken across the board that they are an intellectual brutality school. My last thing I'll say about it is this. You look at the Heisman campaigns. They don't want to start them because they don't think it's important. All of that stuff, it just goes back to it. So I don't know how you you shift that or when it becomes finally just we're going to give it the old college try, but if, well, the, yeah, no, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. That's, I, that's it. Like, yeah, no, I, I don't know if it'll change. <laughs> for the, 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 the thing that's interesting mm-hmm. is that for a five year, seven year stretch, Stanford kind of got its cake and was eating it too. Yeah. They were winning at a very high level at football and mm-hmm. nobody was saying anything to the effect that they had just sold out or that they had stopped being the toughest school to get into or that they had stopped. You know what I mean? Like, so they were getting what they wanted without having to make everything a huge priority. That's because of who was brought in and, and the kind of people that were recruited in my opinion. Yeah, that's a hundred percent what it is. And the question now is how much do they really want to push and fight and scrap and claw to be elite at football. This conversation doesn't occur with any of the other Stanford sports, right? Stanford wins every other sport where it's not, you don't have to go to these ends to be competitive, right? Like elite tennis players, elite swimmers, elite soccer players, elite fill in the blank. They can win national championships and go to Stanford. That's a no brainer. The question is just, okay, how much does Stanford football want to strive for that and and do what they have to do when the truth is because you can't you have to do more it's not the same thing for women's tennis to win a national championship versus what it is for men's football for men's football for football none of this is going to change until they decide to define their identity i'm going to come back to that when david shaw did not want to talk about what identity was after that ucf game when i asked him that will forever stick with me because until they decide that they're going to During Harbaugh's years and during these glory years, there was always that blue-collar identity, that blue-collar mentality. They had defined that they were hard workers on both the football field and in the classroom, and both were important. And until we get to the point where they're ready to come to terms with the fact that they need an identity, then it's going to be Gucci. But until then, they don't know who they are or what they're doing. And that's my biggest problem with the program at this point. And any program is if you're lost like that, you have to find your way because people are not going to follow you if you don't know who you are at the end of the day. Yes. Well, it just comes down to it's not about the floor. It's about the ceiling. Right. You know, I think they've gotten to a place where they can comfortably be a six, seven, eight win team Mm -hmm. when things go right. Maybe a four, five, six win team when things go wrong. Yeah. And the question is, you know, do they want to get to that place where winning 10 games is the floor and not the ceiling? Right. And only, only time is going to tell. And I think you're right. I think a lot of that identity is changing. Yeah. It hasn't been, it hasn't been replaced with something that galvanizes people. Right. And they, they haven't quite figured it out. So hopefully they do because the natives are getting restless not to be, insensitive but you know fans are noticing donors are noticing people are not thrilled we'll have to see who's right but everybody 
who was listening to this now knows that Stanford at Oregon may be a closer game than some of us thought, than most of us thought. So you heard that here. I want to say first, because I'm sure you've said that on other podcasts this week, but if you're feeling ballsy this weekend, throw some money down on Stanford. (laughs) I think it's more realistic if you look at their schedule to be optimistic about it on the whole. This is the year when they have all the tough road games yeah. and they're getting hit in empty stadiums. That's true. But do Austin. you think they're going to win the Axe game? That's my – we didn't get to this, but I'm curious Well, because Cal is a good team and Justin Wilcox has that program going in the right direction. I would agree wholeheartedly yeah. with both of those things. Which is probably hard for you, but I understand. When I look at – well, the truth is they've worked. Yeah, they did. And he's a good I mean, guy. I respect – I respect what they've done. Yeah. There hasn't been like a trick or like a fluke thing to it. No. It's like they work really hard. They work really hard on the recruiter. They've built an identity about having a physical defense and that's going to be the way that they lead with things. Yeah. You know, I mean, they have, they're building things in the correct way. And I, I don't begrudge them that, to be honest with you. Like that's good. they deserve it. You deserve what you get. But I think to me, when I look at Stanford's schedule, I think as optimistic as I may try to be for Saturday, it's still probably a projected loss, right? Right. So that's one. So when you look at Oregon State, Colorado, and Washington State, those are, I think, projected wins. I don't think that's a very controversial statement. All right three now. of them. Stanford should win those games, right? Okay. So really, the flip games are the Washington game and the Cal game. Right. Both away. And they both depend, they're enough into the season where you could be without people, there could be COVID complications on both sides, so it's really hard to tell. We don't know until we get there what they're going to look like. That's the problem, so. Right, and that's like, that's, I I think those are the ones to really look at. I mean, look, if they drop one of those Colorado or state school games, then the wheels are off. I think Oregon State's going to be tougher than people think. Oregon State, Jonathan Smith is a great coach, and he's been doing good things there. I agree. I just think they're not there yet. Maybe not, but we'll see. That's the last game of the season, so whoever's hobbling to the finish line. (laughs) I think for this year, they're just not bringing an S to the table. That's fair. But but those Cal-Washington games, Mm -hmm. I think you're looking at talent that is going to be within the margins of Stanford's talent, right? I think you might argue Washington's probably got a little bit more. Cal probably has a little bit less, just pure talent-wise at this stage. But, you know, those are toss-up games. And again, would we be calling them toss-up games if they were destined to be played in sold-out stadiums? No, I still think they're both losses. I don't think they're toss-ups, but I understand your point. It's they're less likely losses without the full stadium, yes. Yeah, I think the safest phrase, because, like, they should probably lose to Oregon. <laughs> yes. They should, you know, they probably won't beat both Cal or Washington. But I think the phrase that I just keep coming back to is, I'm not going to be surprised to see them beat Cal and Washington. It's yeah. not going to be a shock. Like, hmm. Stanford hasn't fallen completely off the root, off the rails. Like, they still are bringing, if you look at the recruiting classes and just the pure talent, they're still bringing more than enough talent than they need to win. So I'm not going to be stunned. I got to see talent. I have to see talent translate into play before I make any. Like talent is great. I got to see it translate on the field. That's my thing. So I'll watch the Oregon game. I'll even give them Colorado to get their shit together. But when we come down the stretch, 
you know, I think we'll know pretty quickly whether talent is real or not. You know what I mean? Because you can be a high-level recruit and never pan out. Yeah, but I also think, like, when you're cooking, you can tell if the meat is rancid before you start eating it. Yeah, but sometimes it doesn't make you sick. (laughs) You have an idea. Okay, we'll see. Now we're just getting into more, like... Sometimes you luck out. (laughs) More thing for another chapter for the memoir. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. But, yeah. Anyways, all right. Well, I know you're busy. You've got a lot of stuff going on with all this Stanford news, but I appreciate you taking the time to talk and break some of this down. I actually learned a lot of things that I did not think or know about, so I appreciate that. Always enlightening our conversations. Well, thanks for having me. You know, I'm, I'm not hard to book, so, you know. That is not true. RJ is very, very busy. Make sure that you follow him on Twitter. What's your handle again? RJ underscore Abadia, just my last name. Perfect. So look him up, and if you put money on Stanford, make sure you tweet at him when they lose so that he can, you know, catch fire for that. We will be checking back in soon. We got to see if we have a whole season here. Stay tuned. Next two weeks, we're going to be having more coaches, more players, more college football coming at you. And in the meantime, RJ, can you tell them what they can say? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we had a better one. No. Sass always lasts or like something like. This is the first time hearing of this, but. You can't outcoat. Oh, we had a better one. No, at the end of the podcast, we just tell people to stay sassy. No, yeah, but you have a be- you actually have a better catchphrase. Oh my god! In the, in the Twitter archives that you need to find out. Wow. All right. Well, oh, I guess SAS, maybe SAS has no off season. We're just gonna we'll just say we'll see you next time. Is that is that okay? Yeah, that's delightful. All right, great. We'll see you next time. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>